The, the song we, we just sang, it says the following, as, as we gather, come and teach us. Lord, and this is our prayer. Spirit, come and speak today. You delight to lead and guide us. It's your word that lights the way. So come, we pray. Awaken our hearts. Illumine our minds. Magnify Jesus Christ. Come, renewing our faith, changing our lives with your words of life. We pray that you would let your truth sink deep within us. Let the foolish learn your ways. We, we confess, Lord, that we are often prone to wander. And as we hear your word this morning, may we be changed. Come, Lord, awaken our hearts. Illumine our minds. Magnify Jesus Christ. Come and renew our faith this morning. Change our lives with your words of life. Our trust is in you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, our, our Genesis epic is over. Um, and maybe you're already missing it. Maybe you're mad to glo- uh, move on. Uh, either one's great. Uh, what a book. As Matt said this morning, we're starting a new series uh, called What It Looks Like to Live as a Disciple of Jesus Christ. And we do have a PowerPoint. Katie Britt's on our honeymoon, and, and, uh, but we amazingly still have a PowerPoint. Um, if you remember a few weeks back when we were in Genesis, we sort of paused and we did this mini-series on disciples of Jesus. We talked about abiding in Jesus, following after Jesus day by day. And our mission as a church is really quite simple. It's to grow as his disciples and make new ones. It's very simple. Grow as disciples of Christ and go and make new disciples of Christ. And so now we're going to expand that thought in the series, what it looks like to live as a disciple of Jesus whether you're a mom or an executive or a gas station attendant or a cubicle worker or a salesperson or a student or an athlete, an engineer, those are the places we spend most of our time. You know, we spend very little time here relative to the other spaces of our lives. And the question for us is how do we, how do we live out, how do we experience our, our identity as a disciple, as a follower of Christ? How do we live that out and experience that in everyday life? You know, what do we do as his followers? He's made us his followers by dying in our place and drawing us to himself. So now what? What do we do day by day as his followers? Where is our strength? Where is our guidance? Where is our, our power? And, and the first message in the series that I'm going to do talks about living as a disciple rooted and grounded in God's Word, the Bible. Living as a disciple, rooted and grounded in God's Word. Individually, living our lives, grounded in the Word of God, and together as a church, Sovereign Grace Church, SGC, as a church, living together, on mission together, grounded in the Scriptures. And I want to start with a question this morning, and the question is really simple. Do you value the Scriptures. Do you value the Scriptures? It's difficult in our times to determine value and worth, isn't it? You can, you can dial up pornography on your smartphone in a matter of seconds and very quickly forget the value of your marriage covenant and what God says about these kinds of things because there's no real cost in just bringing something like that up. We've forgotten the value of human life in our culture because We can watch YouTube videos of real war battles and watch people die and 
You know, the higher the kill count, the better on video games. And, and abortion is easily accessible. And because there's no cost in those things, we have quickly forgotten the value of human life. It's difficult in our times to determine value and worth. And it's difficult because we don't really quite understand the cost. I think sometimes we forget the value of Scripture, the worth of it, the, the well of life that it is for us. If you're like me, you might use your, your cell phone. Your, I got an iPhone. You might use that or an iPad or whatever to read the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. They're helpful tools. But, you know, a few weeks back, Matt had a couple guys come up and read, read some Scripture, a couple long passages in Genesis. And Roger Easton, a member of our church, he came up and he read a passage, and when he did, he held his huge Bible he had. He held it like this, if you all remember that, and he, and he sort of read. And besides wondering how he was physically accomplishing that for, for such a long passage, he held it up, and I was just struck with just this picture. He was, he was esteeming the Word. The Word lifted up. The Word over us and, and under us. And it just hit me. That's, that's the Word of God in his hands. These guys are reading God's words, the Scripture what value, and do I value the Scriptures like that in my heart? Do I really value these words? And I think I've lost some of that. You know, as I, as I fool around with my iPhone, I think I've lost some of that. There's a songwriter named Jeremy Kinsella, and he has a song called The Purchase, and it has a great line. It says, it's bloody and brutal, this gospel death of Christ. But the truth is, no one's healed apart from his stripes. And I am not compelled to make it pleasing to the eye because the value of the purchase is measured in the price. The value of the purchase is measured in the price. And do you know the price for getting this Bible into our hands, in our language? Amazingly enough, the Bible wasn't written in English. A man named William Tyndale, perhaps you've heard of him. There he is. lived in the early 1500s a leading Protestant Reformation figure, and he translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English. And he did it at a time when, when English translations of the Bible, if you can imagine this, were banned. English translations of the Bible were banned. But Tyndale was, was feisty, and he did it anyway. He also wrote why King Henry, uh, why his view of divorce was wrong. He issued a paper on it, so he wasn't making friends. He was a rebel. He was arrested. He was thrown in a, a jail in a castle in Brussels for a year. Listen, he battled for the Bible that we have. He was, he was an outlaw for God's glory, determined to get God's words into the English language so that we could read them for ourselves and not just take what a priest has to say as truth, but actually read the Word and know God from His Word so that we could know God Himself through Christ. And the cost for Tyndale to get us this Bible that you have your hands on and you are reading in these moments, the cost was death. When they caught him, he was executed by strangling first. Then they impaled him and then they burned him for translating the Bible into English. History says that his final words before he died were, Lord, Open the king of England's eyes. Open his eyes. The value of the purchase is measured in the price. And the price to get this Bible to us was, was death. 
So as we run our hands and fingers over the leather of our Bible today or the glass of your phone or your other device, let's just remember how important Scriptures is to our lives and to our church. Let's remember the cost, the cost of getting us the Scriptures. So here we are, Lord, and we say, let us value Your Word. Amen. Amen. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is a well-known text on the Scriptures, and I'm going to just make four simple points about the Word this morning. Four points on, on the value of the Word, the value of the Scriptures for Sovereign Grace Church, the value of the Scriptures for your life as a disciple, your life as a follower of Jesus. And here's, here's the rapid-fire context of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You ready? It's important. The, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor whom Paul mentored in the ministry. And the theme of 2 Timothy is Paul saying to Timothy, persevere, brother. Persevere in the gospel. Persevere in your ministry even through suffering. Even through false teachers. Imposters. They're going to try to distract you. You're going to be very tempted to get derailed, Timothy. And Paul's saying, bro, stay focused. You're doing great. Stay focused. Paul zooms in in chapter 3 where we're going to be and he talks about false teachers and other people who get off track. And, and Paul says, Timothy, as you're doing the work of the ministry, false teachers, people who love money, people who are proud, people who are arrogant, boastful, brutal, people who love pleasure more than God, they're going to come and they're going to be around. And Paul tells Timothy, avoid these people. In fact, resist these people for the glory of God Paul tells Timothy, resist them and remain faithful by grounding everything you do, Timothy, in the Word, in the sacred writings. How will you persevere through sufferings, Timothy? How will you persevere through trials, through false teachers, imposters, people who just love pleasure, everything that would distract Timothy from leading And being a pastor, Paul says, man, if you ground everything you do in the Word, you're going to survive and you're going to be fruitful. The way to persevere through trials, through false teachers, is by staying grounded in the Word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You read with me. Paul says, verse 10, You, Timothy, however, and he's talking about in comparison with all these people who are getting off track, You, Timothy, however, have, have followed my teaching and my conduct My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul is giving Timothy a reality check. He's giving him a reality check when it comes to, to ministry, when it comes to, to mission and continuing to follow Christ. Some are going to fall in love with the world. Some are going to abandon the mission because it's too hard. Some are going to oppose you, Timothy, and try to do damage to the church. Some will be totally confused and out to lunch and deceived. They're going to go from bad to worse. And Paul's saying, Timothy, man, you've done, you've done well. But stay focused. 
And, and Paul is really painting a, a realistic picture of ministry for us. At Sovereign Grace Church, some of you all are, are persecuted for your faith at work, and you've been passed up by promotions, and, and, and you've been ridiculed by your friends, people on your team, and your boss, and your coworkers because you love Christ, and you've been persecuted. Some of you are suffering. Every day, some of you are suffering. Emotional pain, physical pain, trials, and tribulations. Like the times when Paul wrote, even now, imposters abound in the world we live in. False teachers, things like health, wealth, and prosperity, which is the anti-gospel and the farthest thing from what Christ had to say. And do you feel, do you feel these kinds of pressures in your life? Do you feel the, the pressures and pull of persecutions, sufferings, imposters? Do you feel those pressing in on your heart? I mean, there could be 10,000 things that could distract Sovereign Grace Church from the mission, the very simple mission that Jesus has called us to. 10,000 different tugs for churches these days to do this and, and do that. And it's all about doing it this way. And this is how you build a church. You, you focus all on relationships. Or no, you focus all on the next wave of the Spirit. Or you focus all on this one special guy. This is what you should emphasize to reach people. And here's this book on how to do it by this guy. And this is his take. And, and on and on and on. And all that when there's already sufferings and trials and persecutions and imposters and people abandoning the faith and walking away. Some of you probably know people who at one time professed Christ and then all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, they're gone. I never believed. Or Whatever. The question for Timothy and the question for Sovereign Grace Church, the question for you in a day when there are 10,000 distractions, is how will you, how will we stay on track as a church? How will we keep our, our collective feet on the ground, if you will? How will we establish a legacy? How will Sovereign Grace Church establish a legacy of disciple-making in Greenville and beyond? Parents, how do you know that this church will be here when you are gone preaching the gospel to your kids? What is your confidence that that is the legacy that will be left behind with all of the cultural pressures and temptations and sufferings and persecutions? How do you know? What's our confidence? We're going to be here. This church will be here in 10, 15, 20, 50 years preaching the gospel how will we stay on track? How will Timothy stay on track? Let's see what Paul says. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, listen, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, there's, there's always a temptation to, to move on from the very things that got you where you are. It's I'm a sports fan. It's always interesting to see in sports when you have a superstar, Tiger Woods, Team Tim, Tim Tebow in particular, that all of a sudden have to relearn everything they've done that got them to where they are. New York Jets quarterback Tebow, he had sort of an unconventional throwing style in college, to say the least, and that's a nice way to say it. It was ugly. 
All right? Everyone said he wouldn't be good in prose. He needed to relearn his entire throw if he was going to be successful. And that was the only way. But when it came crunch time for the Denver Broncos, his former team, and they needed Tebow, he got in there, and guess what he did? The same stuff, the exact same stuff that made him one of the most historically successful college players in the history of the game. He did the exact same stuff. He threw it as needed. He threw it. He made crucial plays when he needed to. He ran people over. And most of all, he led with his extraordinary gift of leadership and, and determination. And he led the Broncos farther than anybody thought they'd go, especially under Tebow. He shocked people. Doing the exact same things that got him where he was. When everybody else said, change up your throw. Businesses and organizations will often, after years of success, suddenly start some new product out of the blue. You know, Starbucks rose from massive success in the mid-90s. They, they took their company public. They went from 500 cafes to 17,000 in 49 countries. But they got tired of the original mission. I guess they got bored with making coffee. and They partnered with Pepsi, and they made a drink that probably no one remembers. I don't know if I'm going to say it right. It's called Mazagran or Mazagran. It's coffee soda. All right? Starbucks' version of Pepsi. Pepsi coffee. And they were selling this stuff at grocery stores like next to Coke. And you don't remember it exactly. Ugh, you don't remember it because it was a total failure. And, and they pulled it out of the stores very quickly after putting it out. I mean, nobody walks into Starbucks and says, yeah, I'd like a Coke. I'd like a cola. You got any colas here? You walk in for coffee. And, and people said, hey, stop this nonsense. Go, just go make coffee. That's why you are doing so well. And the point is this. We'll be tempted as a church at times to, to move away from the very simple mission that Jesus has given us to grow as his disciples and make new disciples. Timothy would be tempted to move on and be distracted by all of this stuff going on. And Paul says, listen, stay on course by continuing. Verse 14, look with me. Stay on course by continuing, verse 14, in what you have learned and believed. And what's that? What has he learned and believed, verse 15 tells us, it's the sacred writings. It's the scriptures that made you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, continue on in the scriptures, brother. Stay the course that the sacred writings set you on. The scriptures started you in divine wisdom, and they will lead you and keep you in wisdom. Don't try to do some new thing to endure through persecutions and trials and hardships and imposters and this and that. Don't do some new thing. Keep yourself planted in the Word. The same is true for us, Sovereign Grace Church. The first point is this. The Word will keep Sovereign Grace Church wise. The Word will keep Sovereign Grace Church wise. The Scriptures made us wise for salvation. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For us, it's, it's the Scriptures. For us in particular, it's the Gospel, the historical facts about Jesus and who He was and what He did and what He said and His life and His death. All the words of Jesus, all the things He said about eternal life and, and joy and hell. Those things contain in the Scriptures. When we believe in Jesus and trust in His words, we're born again. And Paul is saying, the writings got the whole show started. Don't forget that, Timothy. 
Sovereign Grace Church, the Word has brought us all here in the first place. That's why you're here. We heard or read these precious words, the Scriptures. We believed them and trusted in Jesus and we were born again and here we are. The Scriptures made us wise unto salvation. The Scriptures started us on an eternally wise path. Lots of other things will try to command your attention as a follower of Christ. Lots of other things will try to command our attention as a church. And it's only if we continue in what we've learned, verse, verse 14, that we'll stay on track. It's only if, as a church, you're steeped like a good tea in the Scriptures week after week and day after day. Only that will keep us from derailing and accomplishing the mission, growing and making disciples And I want you to dream a minute. What could God do with Sovereign Grace Church over the course of 5, 10, 15, even 50 years if we are a body who is individually and corporately committed to continuing in the very things that made us wise into salvation, the Scriptures, the ancient writings. What can God do with a church who reads the Scriptures, studies them, sings them, talks about them, absorbs preaching about the Scriptures. I mean, don't you want to be wise? And don't you want Sovereign Grace Church to be wise and not just moved by every passing wind that comes through the culture? Look into the future, my friends, and see Sovereign Grace Church a hundred years down the road. And it stayed on track the whole time. And we saw lots of disciples made. Because we, like Roger Easton did, we esteemed the Word. Because it's all we have to give. These are the only words that will lead to salvation for those in Greenville and beyond. It's the only thing that will truly help us and help you grow as a disciple of Christ. Look, a hundred years down the road, we esteem the Word for a hundred years. What did God do with Sovereign Grace Church? How many people came to Christ? How many people were turned from from their foolishness to God's ways? The sky is the limit for Sovereign Grace Church. The sky is the limit if we stay grounded, if we continue in these words. Number one, the Word will keep us wise. The Word will keep us from doing something foolish, getting distracted and wasting time. The Word is tried and true. We don't have to reinvent anything. Not a downer on creativity. We love creativity. We don't have to reinvent the mission. We certainly can't reinvent the means by which anybody gets saved, which is hearing about Jesus and what He said and what He has done. A second point I want to make, the Scriptures are God's words. The Scriptures are God's words. Don't take this lightly. How do we know these words, the ancient writings, how do we know they'll keep us wise? How do we know they'll lead and guide us? Because they're God's words. The text says in verse 16, if you look, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And this, is, this has been a hotly debated topic, especially in, well, really throughout all history. But if you go to college, it's very hotly debated. Are these really God's words in this Bible? Are these really His words? And if so, are they perfect? Are they inerrant, without error? Can they be trusted The answer from Scripture itself is a resounding yes. And it must be yes, or we have no hope. And everything we believe is in vain. 
And God can't be trusted. They must be totally true, totally trustworthy, without error, or we have no confidence. We've just made this up. Just human men wrote this for their enjoyment. All scriptures breathed out by God, meaning they go from voice, God's voice, to words on a page. The scriptures, the writings, are breathed out by God. Breathed out by God's a metaphor for speaking. God spoke, and human agents, these guys, wrote it down. In 2 Peter 1.21, speaking of the prophecies of Scripture, Peter says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And there's a lot of back and forth about how this works, and it can cause a lot of doubt. And, you know, we, as people, we tend to be extremists. We would think, like, these guys were just, you know, having a coffee one morning, and all of a sudden they were just writing, you know, scriptures, a pen was in their hand, and they were uncontrollably writing. Or at one extreme, the other is we just think these guys were hanging out. Hey, you know what? Let's write about a living sacrifice, and let's write about offering your, your life and your body as a spiritual act of worship, because nobody's going to know what that means. And let's just pontificate a little bit and write it down and float it out there and see what happens. Two extremes. And it's not like that. The people wrote what God wanted. They were inspired moment by moment by God. They heard His voice. The Spirit carried them along. Maybe it was audibly, maybe internally. It says that the Scriptures are breathed out by God. Not by man, but by God. If a king gives a decree and a scribe writes it down, gives it to a carrier and the carrier brings it to your house, it would be foolish to say, well, this must not be true because the scribe wrote it. The scribe writing it doesn't make the king's decree true or not. The king's words are not less authoritative or less valuable because the scribe simply wrote it. God spoke through the Spirit and they wrote it down for us. And think about what this means for you. Think about what this means for us. The Scriptures are God's words. God's words. Meaning they are completely sufficient for us in our Christian life, and as a church, we need not look anywhere else for ultimate hope and ultimate direction and meaning. Not that books based on Scripture can't supplement what we read. That's not what I mean. But, but we have access to the very words, the King of the universe, the Judge, the Alpha and the Omega, the One whom you will stand before and give an account. Wouldn't you like to know what He has to say about history and about your life? before you get there. His words are here for us. These are God's words. We can know His will. We can know His plans for the world. His saving plans for the world. His redemptive plans for the world. We can know them. Number one, the Scriptures will keep Sovereign Grace Church wise. Number two, the Scriptures are God's words. Or we could say, the Scriptures keep us wise because they are God's words. I want to ask a question now, and I want you to be real honest with yourself. All right? The question is this Do you believe, do you really truly believe that the scriptures are good for you? Not just that, do you think that they profit you? Do you truly believe the scriptures do you good? When you walk past the Bible, when you walk past the scriptures, when you hear it, when your alarm goes off at 6 30, or even earlier, God bless you. 
When your alarm goes off, do you think, this is going to be a massive benefit to me? This is going to aid and assist me and feed me and strengthen my soul? This time reading the Scripture is going to be a huge advantage to me? Do you believe that? Do you believe the Scriptures are good for you? I think it's, it's of great importance because Paul says here in verse 16, if you look, Paul says in verse 16, Scripture is not just God's words, though it is, but it's profitable. The Scriptures are profitable. Remember how we talked about this earlier? The same word, the same concept, profitable, it's, it's used in a few other places in the New Testament. One notable place is 1 Timothy 4.8, a text about going to the gym and, and pumping iron. Listen, it says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value, there's that word, in every way, as it holds promise. That's why it's of value, because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Did you catch that? Godliness is of value. It profits you. It's good for you. It's good to you. Why? Because it holds promise. It will return blessing to you when you invest in it. When you invest in the Scriptures, you get a great return for your soul. Paul's saying here in 1 Timothy 4.8, look, P90X is great, but you're going to die. You know, even Tony Horton will pass away. But godliness? Godliness is of eternal value. It profits you in every single way. And so it is with the Scriptures. The Scriptures are good. They are profitable. What kind, of, what kind of relationship do you have with your Bible? Is it good? Do you love your Bible as it loves you? Is it amiable? Is it standoff? Standoffish? Maybe you've, you've broken up with your Bible for a while. Love-hate relationship. You sort of walk by it. and uh, you know, it, Are the Scriptures a handicap for you? That's what we're asking. Do you view the Scriptures as a, as a handicap, an, an obstacle, a restriction that really keeps you from doing the things that you, you'd really rather do? Listen close. Unless you believe the Scriptures are good, unless you believe they profit you, you'll never really read it. You're never, you will never really read it. Sometimes people will, will tell me, you know, man, I, I just don't read my Bible. I can't do it. It's hard to understand. and It's always telling me things I'm doing wrong. and I've got to wake up early and it wears me out. And you know, I've got to make time for it. I don't have time. I'm just like, yeah, that sounds miserable. Sounds like a really miserable relationship. Do you really believe it's good for you? Do you want to read it? If you view the Bible this morning as, as merely a book of rules for living, you will never love it. If you view it as rules, my friends, you will you will always only have an adversarial relationship with the Scriptures because it is not a book of rules. It is a true story of cosmic proportions about the Creator God and His plans to redeem the planet, His plans to save your soul through the redemptive work in Christ. It's not a book of rules. It is a true story first and foremost. And then it is an elaboration on what that true story means for you day by day, for you, for your life, for your communities. The Scriptures say, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, 
His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. Psalm 1, 1 through 1-3. Point number 3 this morning. The Scriptures are good. They are a delight. They do you good. If you will invest in it, well, God's words will return. It won't return empty. He promises that. His word will not return void in your life and in our church and in our community. The question is, do you view God's word that way? Is it friend or foe? What kind of relationship do you have with the Scriptures? The Scriptures do us good by teaching us. That's the reason we preach from the Bible. The Scriptures need to be taught. The Scriptures teach us about, about God and His creation and redemption. They teach us about ourselves. The Scriptures teach us how we, how we need Jesus, how we need to trust Him. Scriptures teach us about our future with Him or without Him. They teach us. The Scriptures do us good by reproving and correcting us. Don't you like hearing that? <laughs> the Scriptures are good to correct us. They, they correct, they rebuke, they admonish, they, they reprimand, they scold us. They tell us we're being foolish when we are. This is foreign to our culture. Nobody likes to be told they're being a fool. God will not hesitate Fool is used 43 times in the 31 chapters of Proverbs, almost one and a half times per chapter, and there's a reason. God is wisdom. We are foolish by ourselves. His words are right. As we sang earlier, our, our hearts are bent, our eyes are dim. We have a hard time understanding what's good and righteous. So the scriptures are used to reprove and correct us. God's words do us good by training us in righteousness. The Scriptures, when we, when we read them, when we meditate on them, they, they train us, they discipline us, they, they condition us to love righteousness and do righteousness. Not the justifying kind. Jesus provides that for us by faith alone. He declares us righteous. But the Scriptures train us to love what God loves and hate what He hates, despise what He despises. Especially sin. Number one, the Scriptures will keep Sovereign Grace Church wise. Don't you want to be a wise church? Number two, the Scriptures are God's words. Number three, the Scriptures are good. My last point this morning is just a question. And I hope it doesn't come across as arrogant. It's just, don't you want to be competent? Don't you want to be competent in the mission that we're on? I want to close by looking at what Scripture does. What it does for us. What it results in. Look at verse 16 in our text. Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Listen, verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the word complete means something like fitted for a purpose, ready, able, aptitude for what you are being asked to do, competent. Some translations say competent. Ready for your work, able and ready to perform your duty. The Scriptures profit us as they teach us, as they reprove and correct us, as they train us, and they make us ready, competent, able, 
to do the good works that God has for you and for this church. It makes us adequate, capable. My, my favorite movie series ever is Band of Brothers. I've learned more about leadership from that movie than any other book or person besides the Bible. Band of Brothers has a lot of parables about competency and being ready and being fitted for purpose, as you can imagine. One character you meet in the first episode is Captain Herbert Sobel, played by David Schwimmer. And as the men from, from Easy Company are, are trained to prepare for, for D-Day, Captain Sobel, he really, really rakes them over the coals day by day in training. He, he is excessive. He, he always cancels their weekend passes and makes them run up Curahi a million times, the mountain where they trained on. He's relentless. He comes across as just very, very intense, the ideal soldier. He expects excellence. Nothing's ever good enough. His methods are harsh and unfair. No one escapes Sobel's judgment in their training, so to speak. Captain Sobel couldn't have been harder on the guys. He, he talks the talk in this first episode in a major way. However, one day, to the shock and delight of the men in easy company, while doing tactical drills and combat exercises, basically practicing war, Sobel demonstrates he's terrible in the field. He has no idea what he's doing. His team is always lost. They're always sitting ducks for the enemy. They're always in the wrong place. So much so that he even gets in trouble with his superiors after their combat, combat exercises are over. Superiors chew him out. Sobel talked to talk. But when it came to real-time battle, he was incompetent. In fact, they didn't even take him to war. He was only a practice guy. My friends, let's not be practice disciples. Let's not be practice followers of Jesus. Able to talk the talk, do the Sunday morning thing, say the right thing. But when combat starts, we're incompetent and confused and frustrated and distracted. Missing out on the good works that God has for us. 2 Timothy 3 is Paul telling Timothy and God telling us, the Scriptures will keep us wise. The Scriptures are God's words. The Scriptures are good. The Scriptures will make us ready for action. They will equip us for the good works God has for us. And so, the Scriptures are the basis for everything that happens at Sovereign Grace Church. It's what we sing. It's what we teach, it's what we talk about, it's what we fellowship around, it's what we apply, it's what we give. The Scriptures made us wise unto salvation, the text says. The Scriptures, the words of Christ, the words about Jesus and what He said and what He did for us and what He's doing for us now and what will happen at the end of the age. They made us wise for salvation and they will sustain us day by day Individually, they will sustain us as a church for years to come. A few application questions in closing. The music team can come on up. A few application questions to consider. Listen, in response to 2 Timothy 3, are obvious questions. Do you value the Word of God? Do you value the Scriptures? Do you esteem it? Are you thankful for it? Maybe this morning, like I was last night, you just need to repent of of neglecting God's Word and taking it for granted? Do you believe the Scriptures will do you good? 
so much so that you're reading them. Be reminded this morning, God's Word is profitable. It is good to you and good for you. It's a story. It's not a book of rules. It's a story about a saving God who enacted a plan of redemption to save you from your sins. And His motive, the Scripture tells us, was love. The motive of God was love. I mentioned that it cost William Tyndale his life to get us these words in English. And it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus separation from his own Father to make all the promises in this book yes and amen for you. And he did that by, by cutting in front of you in line for death and, and crawling on the cross and being lifted up to die, crucified for our sins, bearing our sin and our shame. He died, he was put in the tomb, and three days later, yes and amen, he came exploding out of that tomb, never to die again. And he calls us this morning to trust in him for a righteousness that we could never produce. That's what the word will tell you. If you look at what the word is really saying, it's that you are lost apart from God and you will never ever come to Him on your own terms. You will come to Him by finding a righteousness that is completely, utterly alien and apart from you and separate from you and that is the righteousness of Jesus. And when you put your trust in Him, God says that righteousness that was Christ's is yours. And you are reconciled to God and He becomes your Father God's calling us this morning to trust in Him for righteousness apart from ourselves. He's calling Sovereign Grace Church. He's calling you to continue on individually and as a church in His Word. So let's spend our days reading, meditating, memorizing, and singing this great story. Let's pray together. Lord, as we are gathered, we just ask again You would come and teach us. You would come and speak today. You delight to lead and guide us. It's your word that lights our way for the future. So come, even now, as we close in song, and awaken our hearts. Illumine our minds, Lord. Magnify, magnify the centerpiece of the Scriptures, which is Jesus Christ. Renewing our faith. Changing our lives with your words of life, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.